We're glad that you're here this morning. Somewhat of an unusual day with the inclement weather, but we're glad that you have braved the weather and come out today. And we're thankful that this number is here, and we hope and pray that the time that we spend together will be profitable. I do want to mention the fact that it was said to me before we began today that this is, this is the time in which most of you are eating. And I think the, the bottom line was keep it short. <laughs> but I did tell Cameron that I had a one, one o'clock tea time today. And so we're still looking for a couple of people to join us. I guess you could hit, uh, you could hit your driver a long way today. We're going to be looking at John chapter 1. Specifically today, we want to look at some of the verses that speak to us about the Word who became flesh. We know from reading the scriptures that Jesus came to fulfill the Father's will. His intent in coming to this world and taking upon himself human flesh was for the purpose of saving people from sin. John the Baptist in John chapter 1 is recorded as saying, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. And really that is in some ways a summation of why Jesus came to earth to take away the sin of the world. I want to begin our study today by talking about the declaration about the Word. And John makes a definitive declaration about the Word. It could be summed up in these words. The Word was God. Many times individuals have difficulty understanding the pre-existence of the Word, the fact that Jesus has always existed. He is not a created being, as some might espouse and think. But rather, Jesus is a part of the Godhead. He is the eternal word. He has always been. He will always be. There's some passages that underscore the preexistence of Jesus. Listen, if you would, to what John said in verses 1 and 2. In the beginning was the word. And the Word was with God. Now listen. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. As I mentioned a moment ago, Jesus has always existed. In his pre-incarnate state, we can go back and we find Jesus at work in creation. And we'll talk about that in just a moment or two. But the Lord Jesus Christ was present in the Old Testament. And as we go back and as we look at passages that relate to his preexistence, one that comes to mind, Micah chapter 5 at verse 2, where Micah the prophet, prophet pinpointed the birthplace of Jesus. And he said, whose goings forth are from of old, even from everlasting, or from the days of eternity, you remember in John chapter 8, verse 58, Jesus was engaged in dialogue with the Jews of his day. And he said, before Abraham was, I am, underscoring his preexistent state. 
And then also in John chapter 17 at verse 5. In the shadow of the cross, Jesus prayed to his heavenly Father. And he said, and now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. John makes reference in John chapter 1 to the beginning. And we know that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. But Jesus existed before the beginning. He has always existed. The Bible tells us that he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being made in the likeness of men. And so the preexistent Christ. And then there is the preeminence of the word. Note, if you would, his power in creation. In verse 3, John said, All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. Drop down and look at verse 10. In verse 10, John said, He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Jesus was the agent by which the world was brought into being. Typically, I like to think about God being the architect of the universe. And Jesus was the agent by which the world came into being. You remember in Genesis chapter 1, God said, let us make man in our image and in our likeness. The Godhead there referenced. God the Father, Jesus Christ the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In Colossians chapter 1, Paul said, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. The word firstborn there emphasizes the priority or the preeminence of Jesus over the created universe, over creation itself. He said, all things were created by him that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible whether they be thrones or dominions or powers or principalities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things consist. Jesus is not just the creator, but he is also the sustainer. The Bible tells us that he upholds all things by the word of his power. And so the preexistence of the word and then the preeminence of the word. Let me call attention in the second place to the manifestation of the word. Drop down and listen to what John said in verse 14. John said, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Here we have the validation of his incarnation. And the idea is that John is telling us, he's telling readers of all ages, that the word who became flesh, the second member of the Godhead, dwelt among those in the first century. He's validating the fact that the Word became incarnate and tabernacled among the human family. The Bible speaks over and over again about the incarnation of our Lord. I think about passages like Matthew chapter 1 where Matthew said that that which was conceived in the womb of Mary was of the Holy Spirit. And Matthew said, She shall bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. For it is he that shall save his people from their sins. 
A body was prepared in the womb of Mary so that Jesus might tabernacle among mankind. Again, in Philippians chapter 2, the apostle Paul said in the long ago that Jesus took upon himself the likeness of men, being found in fashion as a man. Hard for me to understand in many respects deity taking upon himself human flesh and living among men. And yet that's exactly what Jesus did. The Bible in talking about the incarnation of Christ doesn't stop there, but there is also the visualization of the incarnation. Listen, if you would, to what John said. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The word beheld, according to Thayer, means this. To look upon, to view attentively, to contemplate. Often used of public shows. Did you know that for some 33 years, members of the human family had the opportunity to see firsthand God's only begotten Son? They saw in Jesus the only begotten of God. In looking at the scriptures, and as we candidly think about those who saw the Son of God. I remind you again of what John the Baptist said on one occasion. Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. John the Baptist identified Jesus as God's Son. And there were many others that did so as well. But over and over again, the Bible documents for us that Jesus was indeed a real being. In the first century, there were some that had the idea that Jesus did not inhabit human flesh. And so in 1 John chapter 1, John, in an effort to repudiate this kind of thinking, said, that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you. John here documenting the fact that not only had they seen the Son of God, but they heard him. He would say in verse 1 of that same chapter, Our hands have handled him concerning the word of life. And the life was manifested. And we have seen and bear witness. John here again documenting the fact that Jesus was who he claimed to be. Listen to what Peter said in the long ago. In Matthew chapter 16, Peter said, You are the Christ that is the anointed one. The son, of the, living, the son of the living God. And so, in the first century, the apostles and other individuals, they laid claim to the fact that Jesus was indeed who he claimed to be. They had the opportunity to observe his behavior, to see firsthand the great miracles that were performed by him, and then the message that he shared with so many. Isn't it interesting that in John chapter 7, verse 46, John said, no man ever spoke like this man. I guess not. Because after all, this was the Son of God. 
This was God incarnate. And then there's a third thing I would call attention to. And that is what John has to say about salvation through the word. John said in verse 12, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God. Did you know that there is life through Jesus? Listen to what John said going back to verse 3. All things were made through him. Without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. Jesus offers the possibility of life now and eternal life to come. While Jesus was upon this earth, he encouraged people to follow him. Why was that? So that they might have life. Listen to what he said in John chapter 10, verse 10. I am come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. There are a lot of people in our world today that have yet to achieve what I would call satisfaction in life. And the reason is because they do not enjoy an abundant life. And the abundant life I'm talking about is that life that Jesus offers. To know that all is well with our soul. To know that we are right with a loving God in heaven. Again, John said, I'm come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. In verse 11, he would say, the good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. Jesus willingly and humbly submitted his life on Calvary for our sins so that we might enjoy an abundant life. And then in John 14, verse 6, Jesus said in the long ago, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. To know that Jesus offers people life, a quality life. But what about life eternal? If we want to live forever, to whom shall we turn? Well, to Jesus. In John chapter 6, Jesus identified himself as the bread of life. And the Bible says that many of those people on that occasion had difficulty with that statement. With the idea that he was the living bread that came down from heaven. And so John, by way of commentary, said... Their response was, this is a difficult saying. Who can accept it? From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. And so Jesus asked the question to the other disciples, will you also go away? Here's what Simon Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? For you alone have the words of life eternal. Now sometimes we talk about Peter and the fact that he would often speak before thinking. I would grant that there were many occasions in which Peter said things before he really thought through them. But when he made this statement in John chapter 6, he got it absolutely right. What he said about Jesus having the words of life eternal were correct. Only Jesus has the words of life eternal. And so to know that we can have life through him. In chapter 3, at verse 36, Jesus is identified as the one that has the power 
to give us everlasting life. Listen to what he says in John chapter 3, verse 36. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. And he who does not believe the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God abides on him. So those who obey the Son, they have what? They have eternal life. Jesus is the author of eternal salvation, is he not? To whom? To all who obey him, according to Hebrews chapter 5. Now, what about the concept of light as it relates to Jesus? Did you know that Jesus came to dispel the darkness that shrouded the world in which we live? Here's what is said again in verse 4. In him, that is in Christ, was life. And the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness. And the darkness did not comprehend or apprehend it. Light and darkness cannot coexist. And while the world is lying in darkness, Jesus came as a light to dispel the darkness engulfing the world, dominated by Satan, who is identified by Paul as the God of this world. John said in 1 John chapter 5, verse 19, that the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. And so here is Jesus. He comes into the world as light, his intent to dispel the darkness shrouding the world. Would the darkness be able to overtake the light? No, not at all. While darkness and light war against one another, the darkness, that is the darkness of sin, the darkness that is under the, do the domain of the devil does not have the power to overtake the light. And so drop down and listen to verse 9. In verse 9, John said, That was the true light which gives light to every man who comes into the world. He was in the world. The world was made through him and the world did not know him. And then note what he says in verse 11. As we think about light and life through Jesus, there's the possibility of rejecting him. John said he came to his own, that is to his own people. And his own people did not receive him. He's talking here about the Jewish people. By and large, the Jews of his day rejected him. They did not see in him, well, I guess to be blunt, they did not see deity in him. They didn't connect the dots. They didn't understand that this was the Messiah, the anointed one, the coming king. Somewhat odd to think that the very people that had been entrusted with the oracles of God, those that had been the recipients of a covenant relationship with Almighty God that anticipated a Messiah, a king, one who would deliver, that they did not see in Jesus the claims that were being made. In chapter 12, verse 48, Jesus would say, He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my word hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. Sad to think that there were people in the first century that rejected the claims of the Son of God. 
I mentioned just a moment ago John chapter 8. The dialogue that took place between the Jews and Jesus. They understood their earthly lineage. They were related by blood to Abraham, the father of the Hebrew nation. And yet, Abraham looked to Jesus, didn't he? In other words, through the eye of faith, Abraham looked for that promised seed. And yet, the Jews of Jesus' day, they understood their lineage to Abraham, but they didn't see that Jesus was the one that would come through that lineage and save the human family. Back in Genesis chapter 12 at verse 3, Moses had recorded the promise made to Abraham. He said, and you shall all nations of the earth be blessed. That promise was fulfilled in Christ. And then there's the possibility of receiving Jesus. In verse 12, John said, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the sons of the children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but he said, of God. How do we become a child of God? In verse 12, John said, as many as were receptive of him, to them he gave the right to become the children, the sons of God. We're not born into the Christian religion by earthly descent. But rather, a spiritual birth is what puts us in God's family. Is that not the case? Listen, if you would, to what is said in John chapter 3. Look at John chapter 3 with me for just a moment. We talk about becoming a child of God, a son of God. John had just said that those who become children of God are not born of blood, nor are they born of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So in John chapter 3, we have an account of Jesus talking to Nicodemus, a ruler of the, among the Jewish people. Nicodemus comes to him and he makes this statement. Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Nicodemus had the idea that Jesus was talking about a physical birth. That's impossible. And so Jesus said, look, Nicodemus, I'm not talking about a physical birth, but rather a spiritual birth. And so in verse 5, he said, Most assuredly, or truly, truly, verily, verily, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of Spirit is spirit. Now listen to him in verse 7. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The new birth is obedience to the gospel. 
It carries with it the idea, what Jesus is saying here is, if you want to be a part of the kingdom, if you want to be one of my children, then you must be immersed, born of water and the Spirit. We take the teaching that has been given unto us by the Holy Spirit, recorded in this book that we call the Bible. We come to understand that Jesus came to earth, that this was God incarnate. God incarnate came to save us from sin. He came so that we might become his children and ultimately enjoy the blessings and the privileges of his children. Paul would say we are heirs of God and join heirs with Christ. So when we come to an understanding that Jesus is who he claims to be, and then based on that faith, on that conviction, we understand that we have to make a change in life, don't we? That change comes about through repentance. We die to the love and the practice of sin. We give up a life of sin. And then willingly we confess Jesus to be the Son of God. The Bible then says we are immersed in a watery grave of baptism. Well, why do that? So that we might be his children. When we're baptized into Christ, when we're born again, our sins are washed away. On Pentecost Day, the Apostle Peter, standing up with the other 11, spoke to a great crowd in Jerusalem. They were indicted for the death of Jesus. They had his blood on their hands. And so realizing their spiritual state, they cried out, men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. When we do that, that is when we comply with the terms of admission into the kingdom of God, what happens? We enjoy forgiveness. We become a part of the family of God. We have the hope of life eternal. All of these blessings and favors bestowed on us by a loving God in heaven. So here's what John said. The word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father full of grace and truth. Did you know that truth today is what will set you free? Jesus was the perfect embodiment of truth. And Jesus came to save you and to save me. It might be the case that you're here today and you're not a child of God. You believe Jesus to be the Son of God. And you want to become one of, his, one of his children. Why not do what they did in the first century? Simply be baptized into Christ. Let God add you to the church. And thus live in hope of life eternal. It might be the case that you're here today and maybe you're not faithful to the cause. You understand your life's not what it ought to be. Could we pray with you and for you? Did you know the Bible tells us that God will abundantly pardon in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, John said, If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we encourage you today to come as we stand and sing.